Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If we get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 13 here in just a little bit. And this has a lot to do with the baptisms we're going to be doing today. And some of the things that I said um, a, a little bit while ago. Um, oh, Christianity's hard. It, it, it is. I mean, it's hard. It, it's not easy. Uh, we've been called to suffer in ways that individuals don't, uh, that most individuals don't even can't imagine. And and let me start off by saying this, and I'm telling you, I got the permission from the Lord to say this, so if it hurts your feelings, take it up with him. If you are a blood-bought saint of Jesus Christ, and you are not suffering, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. I mean, as human beings, we have the fallen nature that tends to lean more towards self-preservation. Who wants to suffer? I mean, as a human being, who really wants to suffer? None of us do. It's not wired in, it's not wired in our natural being to suffer. We've been called to be associated with Jesus Christ. As Christ um, comes to reside in us, we know that we become individuals who are going to speak a message that is not always going to be popular. Okay? Now, I will admit, as I said a minute ago, that there are a whole lot of churches out there that really don't rightly divide the word of truth. They don't dig in it and look. They don't see everything that Jesus Christ... I'll tell you what, folks, there is no excuse on the planet for being hateful to, to people. There is no, no excuse on the planet, even biblically, of heaping burdens on people's shoulders and making them feel like there's something less than Jesus Christ has made them to be. All the people that are in this church, how many of us are sinners? Here, I'm going to ask you to do something. Let's, yeah, let's all raise a hand up if you're a sinner. Let's raise a hand up. You know what? The fact is, we are all sinners. If it was not for the love of Christ and the gift that he gave us, we wouldn't even have the ability to stand before God in his imputed righteousness, meaning when Jesus looks at us, when we stand before the Father and the Father sees us, he doesn't see us. He knows us, but he sees Christ. Christ is perfect. The only time he had sins upon himself was when he hung on Calvary, and it was for us who were sinners that he died. He took our sins upon his own back, but he took those things straight to Hades, and he shook them off. The only way he could be restored to the right hand of the Father was for him to be a perfect sacrifice, and he was and is that perfect sacrifice sanctification real? Absolutely it is. Should we be individuals who are on a path of, of improving our relationship with him every day and that having an effect of us being individuals who are more holy and righteous in him every day that we live? Absolutely. But here's what the church has done. It gives people a whole bunch of lists and says, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this in order for you to be right. And if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, you're wrong. We've completely lost focus of what this is about. So being a Christian's hard. Hard enough. 
without human beings manipulating God's purpose and plan when it comes to that gospel message. In 1 Peter, the church was being physically persecuted. Physical persecution. Um, I've said before, I won't spend too much time on this, but the Roman Colosseum was alive and well. They used the Roman Colosseum on a regular basis. They would do things like like uh, tie a person to the to the to the ground of the Colosseum, split them from their chin to their belly button, pour them full of corn, and let hogs come in and eat them until they died. They would tie people right arm, left arm to two horses, right leg, left leg to two horses, and literally pull them limb from limb. And it was entertainment. So people say, well, what in the world could have been going on so bad that the Christians felt the need to flee? I mean, if you knew that there were taken individuals, locking them into a coliseum, setting five lions loose just for the entertainment of watching the lion chase you down and kill you, would you stay home? Would you show up at church next Sunday? The church was dispersed because of these persecutions that were going on. Now, what happened was, People had decided to hide themselves so much to protect themselves that they were no longer performing the function of the church. They reclused. They became Peter after Jesus Christ's arrests. No, I don't know who he is. Never been a part of his group. And they zipped up when it came to them sharing the gospel. This letter was written by Peter to that church that was dispersed to encourage them. He says in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3, And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Sanctify Christ in your hearts. This is key, folks, sanctifying Christ in our hearts. The word sanctify literally means to set apart. Set apart Christ in our hearts. That means that Jesus Christ isn't just a part of our day. He is isolated to the pinnacle of it. Jesus Christ is not a part of our schedule. He is interwoven into everything that we do. When I face trouble, or you face trouble, how often do you quickly look to Christ? A lot of people don't quickly look to Christ. As a matter of fact, first we usually go through our worries. We go through our anxieties. We go through our own solutions. And then when all seems lost, then we may lay it at the foot of Christ. To sanctify Christ in our hearts means to set him apart in our hearts. In other words, don't let fear manipulate who Christ is to us. Don't let anxiety manipulate who Christ is to us. Don't let hopelessness manipulate who Christ is to us. Because if there is any encouragement, it comes from Christ. If there is any hope, it comes from Christ. If there is any eternity, it comes from Christ. If there is any life that is worth living, it comes from Christ. How many of you guys own something valuable in your, in, your, in your house? You leave it down where the grandkids can play with it? Or do you sanctify it? You set it, up, you set it apart, right? You either put it up where they can't reach it, or you put it, lock it behind something where they can't get to it. This is exactly the same thing that we're supposed to be doing with Christ. 
We're supposed to have him locked in a particular place where no experience that we have in life can get to him. So that he himself is the one that's affecting everything that we go through, and it's not him being affected by the things that we go through. Because you know that I'm speaking the truth when I say this. We walk the earth too many times defeated when we know that we already have victory. There's been many times that I've looked at the church and I'm thinking, man, you know, if, if, if someone who was if someone who was not a believer walked into a church and, and experienced the church as most churches have church, I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to be a part of it. I mean, have you ever sat in a full church when the song leader is singing victory in Jesus? And this is what it looks like. Victory in Jesus. If we know in our heart of hearts that we have victory in Jesus, does it matter whether or not you can carry a tune in a bucket? No. You, we get those times in our lives and... And I've told you before, there have been people in my life who drove me nuts because at 6 o'clock in the morning, they would be humming hymns. And it's like there is nobody on the planet at 6 in the morning that should be that happy. But when we trust in Christ and we're in that, we're in that spot where we have sanctified him, it removes every doubt. It removes every question. I've told you about my migraines. These things have been terrible. I've begged him, God, take me out of here. You don't want to get rid of the headaches? Fine. Make my heart stop beating in my chest. Call me home. How many times I've obviously heard him say no? So sanctifying Christ in my heart leads me to this. I serve a God who is not cruel. I serve a God who has the power to do whatever he chooses. And if he so chooses that every day I wake up with a migraine headache, I've got to trust in my heart that he's using it. And if me living a life as a Christian means that I get persecuted, I get called a few names, I get, I get knocked down, so be it. Because he knows what he's doing. So you see, when we're going through these difficulties, the easiest thing to forget about is Jesus. Sanctifying Christ in our hearts, it means that regardless of what an individual may do, how an individual may react, you go to one door and that person shows you the international symbol of peace and slams the door in your face. That's enough to make some people just get in their car and go home. But when Christ is sanctified in our hearts, we walk to the next house and do it again. It's just like Paul. Paul walking town to town. And they chase him out of one synagogue. And he runs right into the next town, into the next synagogue. He makes them mad. They chase him to the next synagogue. It's like this constant thing where those who were disciples of his, those individuals said, hey, you better go to Athens for a while and let things cool off. And what did he do? He walked into Athens. He notices all these statues, and there's one statue there to the unknown God. He goes, hey, everybody gather around. I got something to tell you about. This statue you have for this unknown God, 
I'm going to tell you who he is. He didn't go to chill out where Timothy sent him. He went to proclaim the gospel. Verse 17 says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Keep going with me. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not the removal of dirt From the flesh. The Bible speaks clearly of two different baptisms. If we think dunking us in water is what saves us, then we've missed the entire point. Because God is not a God who lays requirements before those who believe in him. God is not the God who actually tells people this is what you have to do. He appeals to us. We respond. He saves us based on his grace and mercy from his work that was accomplished on Calvary. Because God help me and anyone else if they think that a preacher baptizing them in Big River after a while is what's going to get them to heaven. Because I'm here to tell you that Big River water is just Big River water. What does it do? starts a phase in your life where you begin at that point to directly associate yourself with Jesus Christ. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. Never, ever, ever think that any part of your salvation is on you. Because if it is, how's this God any different than any other? An appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day the Holy Spirit presses upon us and affirms to us in our heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is real. That his sacrifice was what accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. And we say, I believe you. Forgive me. We've entered into a relationship, not a religion, and not a responsibility. A relationship. Twenty two says, Who's at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him?
I think we've gotten just this sense as individuals that, that God's passive or that Jesus is passive. And he's not. As I said a while ago, we walk around like we're defeated when the fact is we have victory. We may still fight in the battles, but the war is over. It's won. The battles we fight are significant. They're necessary. Matter of fact, they're so necessary. Look what Peter said in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already, the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. But in all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Don't get thrown off by the one that says that the gospel is preached to the dead. I'm going to explain it to you, and it's a whole lot simpler than, than our theological minds try to take it. Before we come to know Jesus Christ, we're already dead. This is simply pointing out that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, to people who don't even believe in him, Jesus Christ looked at those individuals and he said, whether they trusted me or not, I'm going to give my life for them. And here's the reason he said it. What's the reasons we don't share the gospel? We're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid we don't know enough. We're afraid someone will be mean to us. What do all those things have in common? Fear. When it talks about suffering, it's not just talking about suffering and being persecuted. It's also talking about suffering in face of the fallen world that we walk through every day of our lives. If we're paying attention, there is enough around us that tempts us. There is enough around us that tries us. There's enough around us that pushes us and tries to push us away from what it is, the path that Jesus Christ has set us on. And too many times we don't think about the fact that the thing that God has asked us to do, where would we be if there wasn't that person in our life who once brought that message to us? Where would we be if that person was not faithful and obedient? And I can promise you this. The suffering that Christ had done, that can be traced back through time from your relationship all the way back to one of the apostles. It was handed down person to person to person 
for 2,000 years, it has been making tracks all the way to your heart. And I know a lot of Christians who are so full of themselves that they believe that this was the stopping point. Living for Christ easy? I've already told you it's not. And it's important for us as individuals to be people who are with every godly intention and every godly motivation doing what it is that we do, living out the truth. Loving the homosexual. You've heard me say that many times before. I've had Christians actually tell me, ooh. You sit here and name sins all day. But you know what they all have in common? They're separating people from God. And if you think walking up and being hateful to someone who is suffering from homosexuality or or pornography addiction is the path for them to come to know Christ, you have another thing coming. The church in the world today is already criticized by people And it's criticized not just by society, but it's criticized because of the things that the churches have done. I can prove to you that Jesus Christ has us on a path that he wants to use us. But I can also prove to you that Jesus Christ does not want you to live by some list of expectations. That's exactly what the Judaizers did. That's what Jesus Christ came to set people free from. He came to set people free from the list of rules. Because again, it's not about rules, it's about relationship. And I have people who talk to me all the time and they're like, I'm struggling with this. And and, and, and they look at me sideways when I say, yeah, but how's your relationship with Jesus? And they say, what does that have to do with my relationship with Jesus? And I say, everything. Marriage trouble? Check the relationship with Jesus. Addicted to something? Addicted to anything? Check your relationship with Jesus. Because if you're someone who has placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the problem's not what you're doing. What you're doing has to do with the distance of our relationship with Christ. Because as I said earlier, we're fallen human beings. We want what we want, how we want it, and when we want it. And when Christ comes into our life, he begins to reprioritize things. And we begin being confronted with things that we don't want to do. The things we want to do and the things that God wants us to do, they come in very direct conflict with each other. And if anybody wants to tell me that it's not suffering to deny yourself, for the sake of the relationship, you really hasn't, haven't been put in that spot. We're going to Washington State Park. We're going to do some baptisms. It's a privilege that I still can't wrap my mind around. It's one of the things that he's charged us, unworthy individuals, to do that he himself did not do. He was baptized. 
He also asked all of us to be baptized. But he never once did a baptism. How humbling is that? And for every individual to walk down in that river and to be able to say proudly, because the question's asked, you trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, and know that when life as we know it here on this planet ends, that you will live in eternity with him. I love it when people say, Amen. Or yes. I've even got some uh-huhs. They still excite me. Because buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. It's a hard life. But I can also tell you that I've never lived a more rewarding part of my life. No matter how much we love him, we can't love him more than he loves us. Have you ever professed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Not because somebody told you to, not because you felt pressured to, but because you understood the love of Christ and what it was through that love that he was looking to accomplish. And folks, if you've had those experiences in your past, or you've had people who gave you the list of do's and don'ts and things that you had to do, I want you to know that the Bible says, when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He doesn't give a list with it. If you're here today and you've never professed faith in Christ as a relationship, I want to ask you to come down here and just tell me. I'll take the mic off, flip it over my shoulder. Just come down and tell me. I believe in Jesus, and I'm here to profess him today. Don't do it because I asked you to. Okay? It's dangerous. Don't want any part of it. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, that I'm asking you. Is it hard to step out in that aisle? It's suffering. As a human being, it's suffering. It's hard. It's hard to walk up here. It's hard, especially as a man, because I can't speak as one, to be able to approach anyone and say that I need anything. But I'm telling you, you'll know the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear or yanks on your heartstrings. And I'm asking you to be bold enough to respond if he does that. If you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, any part of this message that the Lord may have tugged on your heartstrings about, you know what? I don't even want to see your lips move during the song. I don't. The most honorable thing that you can do is maintain that relationship. That means if you have a relationship with him and he speaks to you, speak back. Listening. He wants nothing more than our relationships to be right. You may be here today and been someone who has professed faith in Jesus Christ. You've even done it publicly, but you've never followed through in believers' baptism. And I want you to know that it is the it is the greatest act of obedience to follow through in believers' baptism. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're going to the river today. Just tell me after church. If I need to present you, I'll present you down there on the, on the riverbank. <clears throat> There's nothing special about this church other than it's just a place that God's provided for us to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship him. You can get saved outside of these four walls. You can profess him outside of these four walls. That's the God we serve. No matter what your decision may be today, I can ask no more of you.
than for you to be obedient to him. Because he really wants you to know who he is. And more than that, he really wants you to know that he knows who you are. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.